Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. Well, this is going to be a selfishly very fun conversation for me because it's about resources and it's about an institution that we all know, um, I think, uh, and love and either had experience with, uh, but at minimum, we know uh, the Smithsonian. And so this is going to be a really exciting conversation to learn about what they're doing and cultivating learning opportunities and resources uh, and events for uh, all of us around the country. Really pleased to be spending some time with Ashley Naranjo. She is the education and outreach strategist under the office of the Undersecretary for Education at the Smithsonian Institution. Ashley is a museum educator specializing in the use of digital resources for teaching and learning. She currently manages distance learning initiatives and education partners, partnerships for the Smithsonian. And portfolio highlights have included the Smithsonian Quest Digital Badging Program, Smithsonian's online education conferences, their learning lab nationwide teacher professional development, teachers of the year programming at the Smithsonian and explore with Smithsonian experts video series and print publication guides. Ashley, you are incredibly busy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks for having me, Dr. Berger. Yeah. Oh, no, please, please just call me Rod. Ashley, it's so nice to spend time with you. I, what I love about it is I can tell in your background, you have a love of museums. Obviously, you have a love of education. And if we just sort of talk about career paths and sort of the, maybe this is the dad in me, where we sort of think about what's going to be out there for our kids and their passions. What, man, you really represent somebody who it feels like found kind of a perfect fit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, my background has always been kind of in blurring the lines and, and bridging formal and informal education. And it's taken a circuitous route, I will say. Um, but it's been, you know, I've been in schools, I've been in summer camps, I've been in museums, I've been in pretty much anywhere that you can learn, which is a whole bunch of different places. With a background in developmental psychology, but then also now learning design and technology, I've been able to kind of marry the intersection of museums, education, technology, and now kind of making the Smithsonian come alive for folks nationwide. So you don't just have to be in DC anymore. You can be pretty much anywhere with an internet connection and connect to the Smithsonian. Okay. So after you get, and you've been there for a while in different capacities, correct? Like 2011, I think. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you first get there, are you just giddy? Like talk about sort of that. Cause it feels like, I mean, just the, when you say the Smithsonian, right, it's it's an institution in our country. So what was that process like? And was there sort of this, I mean, I know you have to onboard, but I would think there's a transition because you're not in Kansas anymore, right? Uh, <laughs> you're in the no, main leagues here. Absolutely. And I, I actually, as a young child, grew up um, right in one of the suburbs of Washington, D.C. in Arlington, Virginia. So I had the great pleasure of getting to experience the Smithsonian from a young age. Um, and so pretty much every weekend was spent with, you know, trips to the Smithsonian with my dad or field trips. You know, I still remember the third grade field trip to natural history as kind of an iconic moment in my own learning. Um, but coming to the Smithsonian in 2011, it was just, you know, one of those kind of perfect milestones in the Smithsonian's history. We had just started to digitize all of our Smithsonian content. So we were starting to say, hey, we've got 154 million objects. Um, I'll pause there for a second just for the wow factor. 154 million objects. Okay. That's right. 
And how can we make sure that folks who are coming to the Smithsonian or will never get the chance to come to the Smithsonian have access to those objects, have high-res photos or 3D imagery, have video context with our educators and experts? How can we take all of that content and digitize it and make it available for everyone for free? And so that was really kind of the start of that moment. And I think what was interesting is as Smithsonian was starting to digitize content, we were also over here in education saying, hey, we've got a great use case for digitized content from the Smithsonian. And so a big part of my role at the Smithsonian has been and continues to be making sure that teachers and students have access to these resources, but also have really great transferable strategies to be able to use them in the classroom to inspire, you know, the next generations of. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that in uh, because that's, I think, really fascinating that you were there at that time. One, you could be either overwhelmed or incredibly excited at the opportunity, right? And the challenge before you. but I remember back in 2011, and you're right, everybody was starting to think about how do we digitize? How do we sort of take what's physically in front of us and put it into something that is at least on a screen? And then it was, well, wait a minute, how do we understand engagement? How do we understand what works? Because we can't just assume what worked yesterday in the physical world is going to work in a digital environment. How have we done, just in your perspective, because, you, I mean, 154 million objects. And I would imagine that a lot of people were looking at what the Smithsonian was doing and how you were doing it. Um, as a bit of a sort of a lighthouse institution for us to maybe, you know, focus on, because there were a lot of mistakes, I think, that were made naturally, right? We didn't know, but we also had tech directors in schools that were previously tech directors, right? I mean, even from a staffing perspective, I talked to so many in media literacy sciences that they were just sort of like the next one up. And all of a sudden they had to go and digitize and understand applications and all these other things. When you look back to 2011, sort of What's the arc for you? And was there a sort of a point where we said, I think we're understanding it and we're getting it. We may have to rewrite some code, uh, you know, as you will, but we've got it and we've got a much better understanding. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought this up. I think, you know, with a daunting task, like 154 million objects again, and I'm sure that number is even outdated by the time this podcast episode, you know, actually goes to launch, right? Speaking above, right? Exactly. Um, It can be daunting. And in fact, some of our collections, you know, I think hundreds of thousands of those collections are beetle specimens specifically. So rather than spending all of our time digitizing every single beetle, What are the specific specimen that might help us um, advance in research or education or um, scientific illustration or different areas and being really strategic about what was digitized and then also thinking through how it was digitized too. So some things can be flat digitization, other things are 3D because it really does matter to be able to, you know, for example, go inside a lunar module and be able to see what that's like inside the actual module versus just seeing a static picture. So I think, you know, technologists at the Smithsonian have just done an excellent job of really thinking through what are the strategies to make sure that the digital asset provides this really rich understanding of the object and the stories that it holds within it. that's a great responsibility too, don't you think, Ashley? I oh, mean, because yeah. to your point, I love that you say like, we can't look at sort of all beetles or we can't look at the 154 million and growing, 
But my goodness, I mean, talk about it, it takes the term authorship to a whole new level, right? Because if I'm the young person that's going to experience whatever it is that everybody's going to be putting together, it's depending upon sort of the menu that has been laid out before me as a young person or a teacher that's going to engage with it. Does that foster incredible conversations about what is valuable and or not? Absolutely. And I think what was great is pretty early on, the Smithsonian realized um, a lot of our museums, we have 21 museums, by the way. So um, two are, are new that are just starting up, um, the National Museum of the American Latino and the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum. But early on, museums said educators should be at the table when we're making these types of decisions. Um, it's one of the biggest use cases of Smithsonian collections and an important one for us, too. You know, our Smithsonian secretary, Lonnie Bunch, um, who you might know, he was the, the founding director of the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. His big mission is to make sure that the Smithsonian is in every classroom and every home across the country. And again, when you're talking about a daunting task, that's one too. But I think what, what's really important about that is to really think about how are students using our resources in the classroom? How are teachers being able to kind of activate them and use them to inspire curiosity or to really kind of um, invigorate the learning that's happening in their own classrooms? And help me, walk me through the discussion, even for the audience, just around, you know, the whole concept of, you know, supplemental materials, right? And if something is supplemental, the the downside of that is that people can say, Oh well, it's a nice to have. It's not a needed a needed uh, item in the in the curriculum, but yet to the to the goal like you're talking about and being, and as we understand remote learning and we just understand that it doesn't just happen between eight and three, right? We are lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. um, how does that how does that play into the calculus of of what you're building and what you've been building as an institution when you think about how to present the opportunity to the education sector? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's interesting locally, you know, with the DC public schools, for example, we've had the opportunity to create these really immersive experiences um, that DC public schools calls cornerstones, which are really these opportunities to integrate museum visits, museum resources with um, current curricula. So for example, kindergartners get a virtual visit to the rainforest at our national zoo. Sixth graders explore STEAM skills, you know, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math skills um, within a quote-unquote mission to Mars. Ninth graders are thinking about, you know, the key points within world history um, that have affected, for example, you know, the transatlantic slave trade, for example. And they're working with museum educators at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. So even in just those local experiences, there's this opportunity for teachers to partner with museum educators and have the opportunity to have a say in what their you know, um, experience might be like for students, but also museum educators to share their expertise and say, you know, here are some of our best resources. Here's how it aligns to your standards and your curriculum. And together they're co-creating these really valuable experiences. That's not just happening in DC though. It's it's happening, you know, for example, last year I was in um, Nebraska. And together with their pre-K through three educators, museum educators came together to co-create these lessons on multicultural education. They came to us and said, you know, we're trying to, you know, infuse inquiry into our lessons. How can we do that? 
And museum resources are a perfect example of how to do that, right? I mean, when you think about an artwork or, you know, any primary source, all the questions that kind of buzz and, and the excitement that buzz from it, but just helping teachers think about which are the right sources and then also which are the, the right big, you know, overarching questions to ask. And then they kind of take it from there with their own expertise. Ashley, do you have any sense of how, what the penetration is in the education market, like districts that are using the resources, something that can give us a little bit of an understanding or chalk the field as to, to the influence that the Smithsonian has within K-12 education? Yeah, you know, I think right now, one of the things that we're working on is trying to to really make sure that it's no longer kind of like the Smithsonian's best kept secret, right? Everyone thinks about the Smithsonian and they think maybe about the physical spaces, you know, your own eighth grade trip and maybe the eighth grade trip that you chaperoned with oh, your that's own. Not, that's so many years ago, Ashley. I can't. <laughs> exactly. Let's not do that. <laughs> and so, so really, you know, trying to make sure that folks are aware of these resources. I should mention too that they're, you know, the price is right. They're free um, and they're vetted. They're authoritative sources. They've been co-created with teachers and vetted in the classrooms. Um, and so really it's, you know, partnership by partnership, each of our museum educators, um, which I should mention too, there's over 300 museum educators at the Smithsonian. And these folks are, you know, passionate, ded dedicated educators who are willing to help classroom teachers think through, you know, how to make connections to art, history, science, and culture. They're, you know, specifically um, trained, for example, in early learning or English language learners. And so really kind of being able to tap into those resources across the country, I think is really, I think where we're headed, to be quite honest. Um, and so thus far, you know, honestly, it's been in pockets across the nation. Um, it's been with some of, you know, the most kind of energetic teachers that'll raise their hand and say, hey, I want to, you know, learn more. And what we're hoping to do is really move towards more of the model um, that we've seen that's been really successful locally with DCPS, but then also, you know, um, even in the Midwest in Nebraska too. And so walk me through that. Let's just say that I represented a district and I called up my my new my new friend Ashley and said, <laughs> we want to be engaged with the Smithsonian. How does that like what does that look like? So you have the educators of 300, but is it do we get access to a library, I say that in quotes, of resources? Just help me and the audience understand what that relationship can look like. Sure, absolutely. So there are universally accessible and available resources that are just right available at your fingertips as you you know finish this podcast episode, right? Um, you can search through our repository called the Smithsonian Learning Lab, which is a digital platform that has all of those media assets um, that I mentioned. Um, and you can access those resources. So no matter, you know, if you're teaching, again, you know, fifth grade engineering skills, or if you're teaching kindergartners literacy, there are resources that are out there for you. Um, on a second tier, there are also resources that we've been working on to hone into, for example, um, specific needs of specific grade levels or subject areas. Um, and those are also available. And then I think at the most kind of intensive level, there are um, opportunities for co-creation, for professional learning and development um, that we can offer as well. So it's kind of this rich opportunity to kind of dip your toe if you're interested in just trying it out to really kind of going all in and being really engaged with our team of educators um, to help you kind of reach your own objectives in your own district. 
with the local success, have you have you found that the local school district kind of that they need someone that is a bit of a an advocate or an ambassador, some conduit to the Smithsonian so that because I always fear when you have these amazing resources and you're reliant on the end user to kind of pick up the phone, pick up the pencil or, or the laptop, that that in there, there therein lies the maybe the, you know, the the rub, right? Is that like, gosh, we got to kind of close that gap. So how does that work when it's really working well? Do you find that there's someone on the ground that is the direct conduit? Yeah, I think it's a mix. I think it's definitely, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. You know, making sure that there's a link um, between the Smithsonian and the teachers who are in the classroom. Um, oftentimes that link can be anything from a person, right? Who's who's making sure and following up and, and kind of thinking through how it might apply to their own district, but also that person doing a great job of communication too. So a lot of times I've seen local districts um, and states who have, um, been able to take our resources and integrate them within a learning management system or take our resources and do a model lesson and demonstrate what this looks like. And pretty quickly after, most teachers are hooked once they see the power of what you can do with museum resources. I think, you know, what's really special about the Smithsonian is it tells a national story, but there's also the opportunity to take some of the approaches and strategies that we've, we've developed and apply them to local stories too. So especially, you know, as we're thinking about things like social studies or even, you know, um, sustainable development goals, right? Like the UN sustainable development goals. How can we take that from both a, a local, you know, narrative, a national narrative, and then even a global narrative? Are there any connections to sort of planet Earth? How do we go from the U.S. and the 21 museums? What's the, help me on educate me, I guess, on the Smithsonian's role across the globe? Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to our 21 museums, we have research centers globally. Um, and then we also have a science education center. And I just men mentioned the sustainable developmental goals. And those are really those kind of big calls to action from the United Nations. Um, and there are things like access to fresh water or environmental justice, things like that. And what we've been doing um, with our Science Education Center is developing modules and kind of opportunities for students to think locally and then start to kind of expand those concentric circles into understanding their role within the planet. Um, and so that's one initiative that we have um, at the Smithsonian under our strategic plan. It's called Life on a Sustainable Planet. And it's actually a theme that we're um, focusing on within the Smithsonian's National Education Summit that's coming up this summer. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think it's it's going to be a great opportunity for teachers to learn a little bit more, not only about our resources, but to meet some of the museum educators, um, as well as teacher practitioners that have used these resources. Talk a little bit about the details of Edo Mind for people who might want to attend. It's in July, correct? That's right. Yes. So it's a three-day free, again, <laughs> the price is right. Uh, can't say that enough. Uh, professional development opportunity. It's hosted both in Washington, D.C. So you can come visit us at the museums. Um, it'll be hosted at kind of two iconic Smithsonian sites. So the Arts and Industries Building, which if you're not familiar, is kind of the first iconic historic building um, that was part of the Smithsonian, the original uh, Smithsonian Museum. 
And then also at the Hirshhorn Museum, which is a kind of beacon for contemporary art and um, convening conversations um, all about uh, today's world through art. So it's available, you know, both in person at those two sites, but then also opportunities for online engagement too over the course of the three days. And do people, where do they register? Sure. So you can go to s.si.edu slash education summit. 2023. And it's free registration online. Um, you just fill out a quick form and then you save your seat in a variety of different sessions. All of the sessions will be um, archived too. So you can access them later or share them with a friend. Um, and it's just a really great way, I think, for folks to start to kind of get a taste of some of the Smithsonian's resources that we have available and then also get to meet, you know, those Smithsonian educator experts too. Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Let's let's pivot a bit and talk about the education industry, if you don't mind, Ashley. Sure. And trying to understand sort of the inbound interest that you might have from the education sector on maybe the ways in which the Smithsonian can work on digitizing and sort of, you know, bringing different artifacts into a digital landscape. You know, I keep reading and hearing, um, I've got an interview coming up with with a group. Oh, it's all about AI, right? It's sort of, it's already there. People are now trying to figure out how to apply it. Um, what do you see sort of in this maybe short, long-term um, when we think about some of the requests that will be coming in, whether or not they are valid for what you're trying to accomplish there or not, you know, people, if they have it one place, they kind of want to see it applied in different areas of their life and learning is going to be that as well. So how do you look at some of these advancements when we think about, like you mentioned 3D and sort of different ways in which to engage with these artifacts and these learning objects. Do we see AI? What are some of the challenges? How do we get our hands around this? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think one of the things um, that the Smithsonian is so, you know, well poised to, to help support, especially in the classroom, is the opportunity for storytelling and using objects to do storytelling. And so one thing that comes to mind right away as I think about the future of how we think about objects in the classroom, how we think about museums in the classroom, is these immersive experiences, right? So things like AR and VR. Um, opportunities for students to then kind of think beyond the classroom walls. So a great example and um, is this interactive that we've created using 3D models of a coral reef, having a narrated kind of um, overlay of a renowned coral reef biologist and having students kind of swim through this coral reef ecosystem at the size of a small fish and starting to learn about ecosystems not at the size that we all are, you know, as, as you know, perhaps amateur divers or even just, you know, uh, watching National Geographic documentaries, right? But actually getting to change our perspective, something that we can't do in the quote unquote real world. And then having a Smithsonian expert almost sitting right on your shoulder, telling you what they're, they're looking at, thinking about the causes of, for example, um, climate change or coral bleaching or, you know, understanding what the food chain means and what that type of, you know, system looks like. We've created those types of interactives as models, and I would love to see more of those coming up, popping up, because I think there's such unique learning experiences. In addition to, you know, the one on coral reefs, we also have interactives that take you, you know, through an exploded star, a, a journey through a supernova, right? 
And that's something we can't experience in today's world, but through advances in technology, we're able to offer students immersive experiences like we've never been able to before. And I think that's partially you know, where the Smithsonian has this opportunity to come in and really kind of shift how students think about the worlds that they're exploring in the classroom. I love it, Ashley, because it speaks to the generation that continues. I mean, it keeps getting younger, younger and younger, wanting, wanting to be part of purpose, right? That there's Absolutely. purpose. And it feels like you guys are, you're right in the sweet spot because you've got the history element, right? You've got context, which I think we are in dire need of. And context is so important to learning and to be able to do that through these interactive uh, environments just screams like a perfect fit for the younger generations as they're looking for things that aren't, it's not in essence, just learning, um, you know, one plus one is two. It's about, well, what do we know about each factor? Right. And how does that apply to my life? And maybe those that live in different areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a really exciting time to be, you know, a learner in the classroom. And I think what's so exciting too is Smithsonian educators are really starting to think outside the box um, to make sure that the resources that they're creating are addressing needs and, and addressing gaps that are currently existing, you know, whether it's in existing curriculum or textbooks. These are the types of things that excite kids when they wake up in the morning and they're like, we're going to go to school and we're going to get the opportunity to swim through a coral reef or journey through an exploded star. You know, those are not experiences I had as a young student. And I think it's just, it's really exciting to see what's what's next. Well, it sounds like you have, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, you you have you've, you've carved out quite a career where you really get to bring together all the things that you love and be a part of the next to your to your point just now, right? And that's incredibly powerful message, I think, for young people, for the Smithsonian. Um, anywhere else that they should go to learn more about you and or the way in which they can participate? Because I hope that more and more people real, you know, I want my kids school and make sure that they are dialed into the Smithsonian because it sounds like there are some incredible resources. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think first and foremost, certainly visit us online um, through si.edu. That's our, our Smithsonian homepage. And there you can access all of the resources that I mentioned, including the Smithsonian Learning Lab, as well as um, access to the registration for the 2023 National Education Summit. This is an invitation to you, Rod, too, if you're interested, but also to your listeners to join us. Um, it's going to be three days of incredible sessions, um, you know, really focusing on a number of different themes, um, everything from life on a sustainable planet, which we talked about a little bit, but also, you know, STEAM education. So really thinking about that interdisciplinary learning and convergence learning. Um, reckoning with our racial past, an integrated arts education. Um, and so those are just some of the themes that we're focusing on. But like I said, there's free sessions that are both online as well as in person. Um, if you join us in person, you get to join for a reception on Tuesday night. So you'll get to kind of mingle with all of us. Um, and then there's also some behind the scenes tours um, that are happening too. So there's some perks for joining in person. It's, um, <laughs> what, do we have the date, Ashley? I don't know if I have the dates. I know it's a three. Yeah, sure. So it's July 18th to 20th. So it's a Tuesday through a Thursday. Um, and like I said, you know, if you can't join us in person, be sure to tune in online. Um, there's just an, an amazing plethora of, you know, valuable resources from across the Smithsonian that are available to all of us. 
Well, I, I highly encourage people check it out. Um, what a beautiful time to be in DC for sure. Um, and, and just to, you know, sort of dive into the history. Um, what a refreshing voice you are, Ashley, to education and the power of our history, like we were talking about, and how we can dial that history into our present and our future. Um, continue being you and doing all that you're doing with the Smithsonian. I think we're all the better for it. We want to thank Ashley Naranjo. She is the uh, part of the Education Outreach Strategy. She's the Office of the Undersecretary for Education at the Smithsonian Institution. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.